Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Goliath Technologies, Liquidware, and Policy Pack Software. If you enjoy the show each week, you have my great sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Last weekend, news started to roll through of a cyber attack of some kind on Colonial Pipeline in the U.S., The pipeline carries 2.5 million barrels a day, 45% of the East Coast supply of diesel, petrol, and jet fuel. Pretty much every person and their dogs were calling it a ransomware attack at the time, even though it hadn't been confirmed. On Monday, the FBI officially confirmed that a cyber gang called Darkside was responsible, saying it was continuing to work with the firm and other government agencies on an investigation. President Biden has been briefed on the incident as it is considered critical infrastructure. The U.S. government took emergency measures to enable the transport of fuel supplies, but even so, there has been reports of petrol stations running dry. The dark side cyber gang are believed to be based in Russia, and they themselves have published a statement claiming to be apolitical. The BBC reports that the group also indicated it had not been aware that Colonial was being targeted by one of its affiliates, saying, quote, From today, we introduce moderation and check each company that our partners want to encrypt to avoid social consequences in the future, end quote. Only part of this I don't understand is if they are apolitical and they don't desire to disrupt society with their attacks, why not pressure whoever the affiliate is to provide the decryption keys. The article goes on to suggest that the pandemic may be partly to blame by forcing workers to access the systems remotely via TeamViewer and Microsoft RDP, which I'm going to call no on that. That's not an excuse or a cause in my opinion. The article also suggests hackers can just search on Shodan to find machines available online and try to hack any they see publicly exposed on the search, which, yeah, sure, but it's also up to the organizations to do the best they can to not expose their systems. I mean, it's a really tough time. There's always so many vulnerabilities that are being exposed and they're getting leveraged for attacks so quickly now. There's really no time to turn around and patch your system to protect yourself. And with that statement, I would strongly encourage anyone who works for an organization who's currently taking an approach of staggered patching and patching one month behind to consider a more proactive approach of patching as patches become available and just doing it in a staggered approach with the current patches. I know there's a greater possibility of breaking things, but it's better than potentially inviting in attackers who could cost millions and millions. That's just my opinion. And once again, it's that time of month. Patch Tuesday brought with it 55 fixes, including for three zero-day vulnerabilities. The three biggies are CVE-2021-31204, which is a .NET and Visual Studio elevation of privilege vulnerability, 
and also 31207, which is a Microsoft Exchange Server Security Feature Bypass vulnerability, and also 31200, which is a Common Utilities Remote Code Execution vulnerability. 55 fixes in a month is relatively few compared to many months over the last 18 months where patches have been quite large. None of the zero days are known to be actively exploited in the wild yet, but obviously, like I just said, patching as soon as possible is a good idea. Some other vendors out there who also fall in line with Patch Tuesday for their patching schedule have also released patches for zero days and other serious vulnerabilities too. So check for each vendor like Apple, Cisco, and others. I'm gonna talk about some other ones right now. First up, Citrix customers, upgrade your workspace app right now. This is because there is a local privilege access vulnerability in all versions of the app. Those susceptible are anyone who installed it with an account that had admin access, which let's be real, is pretty much everyone. Don't take the risk, don't sleep on this. Get your patch plan in place to do this as soon as possible. BleepingComputer.com has reported that there is a use after free vulnerability in Foxit Reader. The vulnerability is in a feature within the product used to display dynamic forms and interactive document elements. Successful exploitation of this vulnerability can lead to unexpected results ranging from program crashes and data corruption to the execution of arbitrary code on computers running the vulnerable software. So pretty significant. This security flaw is caused by how the app and their browser extensions handle certain annotation types which attackers can abuse to craft malicious PDFs that then allow them to run arbitrary code. This is patched in version 10.1.4 of Foxit Reader. While Foxit Reader and Phantom PDF has a large user base with some big name customers out there like Google, Adobe Acrobat Reader must be the most widely used product of its kind. And unfortunately, there is a report from ThreatPost.com about a zero-day vulnerability in that product that is currently under active attack. Windows users of Adobe Reader may be the only ones currently targeted, according to ThreatPost. However, the bug affects eight versions of the software, including those running on Windows and macOS systems. Versions include the Windows Acrobat DC and Reader DC, versions 2021.001.20150 and earlier, the Mac OS versions 2021.001.20149 and earlier, and also the Windows and Mac OS Acrobat 2020 and Acrobat Reader 2020, as well as Windows and Mac OS Acrobat 2017 and Acrobat Reader 2017. Get the May patches to protect against this actively exploited zero day. And also don't sleep on it even if you're on macOS, even though there's no reports of active attacks against macOS, this vulnerability exists there too. Some Outlook users reported some really messed up bugs this week. They reported when trying to open emails, some of the text within the email would not appear. And even worse, when creating new emails, when they would hit enter to add a new line, their text would disappear. This issue was caused by Microsoft's released Outlook version 2104 build 13929.20372, which rolled out recently. If you have issues, the advice is you should roll back. Bleepitcomputer.com 
have provided instructions on how to do just that. Pretty crazy to think an app like Outlook that's so widely used could be rendered unusable globally for many users by a bad patch. Would hope to think that rigorous testing is carried out on a pretty large scale to ensure this doesn't happen. And it is continuing to be pretty disappointing that, you know, Microsoft seemed to be leading the way with their revised bring approach for patching and upgrades, but it doesn't seem to be paying off that much. I really wonder why. A very brief update on the SolarWinds hack. The record media reports that SolarWinds said that while they quote, don't know precisely when or how the threat actor first gained access to their environment, end quote, the company found new evidence that the threat actor compromised internal credentials and moved around its internal network and Microsoft Office 365 environment for at least nine months prior to initiating a so-called test run in October 2019. When they tested their ability to deploy malicious code inside the SolarWinds Orion app before launching the actual attack in March 2020. So the timeline has shifted quite considerably now as it seems like they had access to the environment for many months. So maybe that removes that exposed password on GitHub as a possibility. But clearly they gained credentials somehow. So it'll be interesting to see if we ever hear what the root cause and path into the environment or into the network was. This week, ControlUp published details of the new version 8.5 that brings a lot of great features, including new custom dashboard options in ControlUp Solve, which enables you to create and share dashboards that can be more meaningful for different departments or specific to a certain site, location, or pretty much whatever you please. Essentially, ensuring that you're able to create the dashboards that matter the most for the people in your organization. Remote DX is the most exciting new feature to me. It shows a breakdown of a user session to show the latency between their device and their home router, their home router and the internet, and from their home connection all the way through your gateway to your virtual desktop or server. There's also some really great other metrics like client NIC speed, SSID, BSSID, and more. With this, you can finally have definitive proof if it is an issue with the user's home connection or not. They also have a new Edge DX product that spreads the control up goodness to physical endpoints, including those running on Linux or Mac OS, and with it brings incredibly flexible custom reports, which can allow you to report and query on pretty much anything you can imagine. As I shared on last week's episode of the podcast, ControlUp are going to be holding a webinar on the 13th of May, and they're going to have sessions both for EMEA and the U.S. So check out the webinar, and I'll share a link to that with this episode, which is episode 176. You'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 176. This week, Brom Wolfs teased a new feature in the upcoming Remote Display Analyzer version 2105. It will support the relatively new RDP short path in Windows Virtual Desktop, and he says it will be available very soon. This next story could have been a trick in the scripts, tricks, and tips section, but I figure it's more cautionary than a case of 
hey, you should check this out and try it for yourself. But WhyNotSecurity.com posted an article on how you can easily circumvent an organization's external email web filter. So you know how on any email you receive from someone outside of your organization, it displays a warning maybe along the top of the email and how maybe seeing that gives you pause for thought on the legitimacy of said email that you're viewing. Well, what if someone can send you an email externally and just disable that warning? Well, they can, and as this article shows, it is relatively simple to do. So don't lean too much on that warning because it's not really bulletproof. And on the topic of mischief with email, The Guardian this week reported on a story about West Midlands Trains in the UK who sent an email to 2,500 employees with a message saying its managing director, Julian Edwards, wanted to thank them for their hard work over the past year under COVID-19. The email said they would get a one-off payment as a thank you after, quote, huge strain was placed upon a large number of our workforce, end quote. However, those who clicked through on the link to read Edward's thank you message were instead emailed back with a message telling them it was a company-designed phishing simulation test and there was to be no bonus. It warned, this was a test designed by our IT team to entice you to click the link and used both the promise of thanks and financial reward. So as you can imagine, employees are not happy with this. An employee there died from COVID-19 and many others fell ill. It has been a tough time and for them to use this type of messaging as a training exercise is pretty terrible. I don't blame their employees for getting upset. The bank HSBC announced to employees that they are to start Zoom Free Fridays. So I've covered stories of other organizations doing something similar. It's really interesting, and for me, it raises the question why this is happening now, because because personally, I always found back-to-back meetings in the office exhausting too, but it seemed like no attention was paid to that. Sometimes we didn't even get a break for lunch. We just ate in a conference room, and it was like labeled a lunch and learn or something like that. The only breaks you might have got were to go to the toilet or switch meeting rooms. It's good now that there is this visibility and willingness to change but this is not new and this is not some sort of unique drawback to having a remote workforce it sucked when we're in the office too and Anoush magazine on twitter actually shared a really interesting chart with me from microsoft's research study showing stress measured in participants using an eeg cap it shows the impact of multiple back-to-back meetings And the short of it is, back-to-back meetings with no breaks are more stressful and end up as less productive. So for anyone out there who's maybe in a management position when you're planning out your workday and planning out meetings, whether they're in person or not, consider those breaks because they do help people stay more productive. And now on this episode, some hot jobs. Martin Woodward shared a job opening at GitHub. They are looking for a new developer advocate based in the US, Canada, Europe, or the UK to come join their well-established DevRel team. It's a great role for someone who understands development but is new to DevRel and developer advocacy. 
And it's a double header this week because Stuart Carl also shared a post looking for a technical specialist at Coffee Cup IT, saying that if you're passionate about Citrix technology or Microsoft Windows Virtual Desktop, to get in touch. And I'll share your links to information on that DevRel position at GitHub and also a link to Stuart's and Coffee Cup IT's Twitter accounts so you can get into contact with them too. And now some weekly webinars. The Atlantic Conference takes place the week of the 17th of May. This is usually a paid in-person conference, but this year will be completely free and take place online. I got to go to it in person a couple of years ago. There's some really great sessions. Some are maybe a little more high level, but interesting nonetheless. And then there's also some deeply technical sessions. And I see that Gary Short's gonna be presenting again. He did an awesome session the last time that I attended. So I'd strongly encourage anyone listening to at least register to go to Gary's session, but also look at the other sessions too, because there's some really interesting ones in there. And because I was gonna promote a regional conference, I saw another really interesting regional conference that was shared by Joe Darko on Twitter. And that is the first ever annual Ghana Innovate Summit. They say that the Ghana Innovate Summit is an event that brings together Ghanaian professionals to exchange ideas, learn from subject matter experts, and solve real-world problems. They say that during the summit you will learn investing in the stock market and cryptocurrency, capitalizing financially while growing your career, building wealth while still an employee, and becoming an entrepreneur from the bottom up. Sounds like a pretty interesting conversation to have with other people in the field. That's one I wouldn't mind attending myself, particularly the conversation around stock market and cryptocurrency. There could be very wildly different opinions on that. It's a good one to have a conversation about. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. The awesome Dan Goff created a new PowerShell module called Nevergreen as a complement to Aaron Parker's awesome Evergreen module. While Aaron's module focuses on those apps where API queries can be used to obtain its data in the installer, Dan's module uses web scraping for those apps where you can't get the information using API queries. But he also says for this reason, because he's using web scraping, he warns that there is likely to be instances when it doesn't work anymore, and he would appreciate if people let him know. But essentially between Nevergreen and Evergreen, you're covering a very wide range of applications. So good job by Dan. And also if you've never heard of the Evergreen PowerShell module, I've talked about it multiple times on other episodes of the podcast, check that out as well. Finally, Steve Saifu posted another mega thread on Twitter. This time around the topic of authentication on Windows and how MFA is handled. This time he also very quickly published a blog post for all to enjoy. So if you're not on Twitter and you don't like going on Twitter, this is a really awesome lengthy blog post that goes through it as well. So you don't have to miss out. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.